Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Ya'at'e, hello. Ya'at'e, abena, good morning. This is your host, Vicki Oldman. Thank you so much for coming back, listening to this next episode. I am having such a beautiful morning. I'm looking out the window, literally, and it's it was overcast, but the sun is speaking, um, peeking through, and I've been really enjoying these birds in front of um, my house, and they're like singing, but they've been playing tag. Like every day I've been watching them, and they've just been playing, and it's been such a delight. It brings a smile to my face when I watch them um, having a good time. So this morning, usually when I get up, you know, I do my my routine. And part of that is sort of sitting in silence and whatever bubbles up and surfaces, I usually journal with that and write with that. And it was kind of deep this morning. I was like, whoa, what's this about? And it actually, the one word that came was choices was the word. And it got me really thinking about where I am today, you know, and how I got here and all the different sort of parts of my life, you know, becoming a mom for the first time, you know, um, moving away from the res and um, starting, you know, um, companies and just, it's just interesting. I just was thinking about all the different choices that I made. And then it also got me thinking about there are people outside of us that make choices that affect us. You know, it's a ripple effect. And sometimes those experiences are hard. Sometimes they're joyful. And and then I also thought about that. I was like, so when a a person, another soul makes a choice, a decision, and it's a ripple effect, how how am I a part of that and my choice? And, you know, and it made me think about, well, it's how I how I show up, how I pivot, how I adjust to, to that. And and it just made, it was profound for me in the sense of like, you know, what would it take? What would it take for each and every one of us to be more intentional, more thoughtful about the choices we make? We make choices every single day. You know, the minute you wake up, (laughs) you have a choice to get up and put on your walking shoes, get up and, you know, um, sit silently, uh, get up. Or choose to crawl back in bed. <laughs> you know, um, choices when we go into the kitchen, you know, the, the chocolate cake or, or whatever. Like we're constantly making choices. And then it, it made me think about my environment. I'm looking in my space. And I'm like, these are all choices that I made. The, the kind of candle that I want, right? The kind of plants that I want in my room. And then I thought, well, you know, of course, what would it look like if everyone is making intentional choices, and, you know, we don't have the luxury sometimes to sit and do like a pro-con sheet. You know, I could hear people laughing. Yeah, no, we don't. There's sometimes we have to make a choice like right away. And I thought, well, when I do that, what, what do I do? And for me, I listen to my body. Like a minute my body, when I have to make a decision, I'm like, what do I got to do? You know, I, my, my body is screaming, no, you know, for the most part, I won't do it. But our brain, you know, my I, my brain sometimes overrides what my body's saying, and so there's the struggle, and sometimes I make the to- the choice, and then of course later on regret, 
And regret is learning. So then I learn and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And our body remembers that. So anyway, it just made me think about that and where I'm at. It also is making me think about as I go forward, you know, to be more mindful about some of these choices that I'm making. And the second question that came to me was, you know, how does this choice serve me? You know, how does it serve me? Does it serve me at all? And who is this, you know, who's, who's, who's benefiting from this choice? Um, so that was really just spoke to me. And so sometimes, you know, I, I'm ready to do something and I will, like, how's this serving me? You know, it's not going to serve me. So don't do it. <laughs> so anyway, I leave that with you all to be thinking about your day-to-day, your moment-by-moment moment in the day and how you make those choices and how they impact and, you know, take a look around your home and, and see like, what are the choices that I'm making here? Right. So anyway, I want to introduce our next guest and I will tell you all that is an intentional choice <laughs> of who I'm inviting. And, you know, it's interesting because there are certain people that I've asked as guests, um, very intentional, very thoughtful. I want them on here. And then there are other guests that have been such a delight and a gift. And I really believe that's creator offering. Like I'm not even, like they weren't even on my list, you know, and next thing you know, they're here. And then I listen to my body and my body says, yep, go with it. So this individual is an intentional, thoughtful uh, choice to be on here. And I'm just so tickled that she said yes. We have known each other maybe about, I want to say five, six years. And we met actually at a holiday gathering from a mutual friend. And so I went to the holiday gathering and the only person I knew was the host. <laughs> and those of you who know me, I'm a little shy. Like I, I'm not shy if you know me clearly, but um, I was a little shy. So sitting there and I had my security blankets with me and that was my guys. And I was just sitting there just checking out the room and seeing uh, people have dialogue. And then this beautiful soul plops by me and says, so what do you do? And it was my guess. And so since then, we've remained connected, and I've just been in awe and her um, ability to see how much work she has done in this literally blink of an eye. And watching her and seeing how she moves um, big, hairy, audacious sort of uh, challenges and also vision and really bring it to life. And it's such an honor just to even know her because, you know, she's one day I'll be like, yeah, I knew her back then. <laughs> and so um, I know you all will enjoy this woman. She's amazing. And um, she, her, I would say her lens is really about making change. She wants to change the envelope, change the rhythm. You know, we've been in this rhythm in terms of how we do work, how we see things. Like, no, let's shake it up, you know. And it's shaking it up in a good way. Um, her heart, her soul, her passion is about social, environmental, and economic changes to benefit our Native communities, our relatives, our, our women, our entrepreneurs. So she is looking out in the work that she does with that lens um, it's highly sought after, sits on numerous boards, always a guest speaker, 
um, mover shaker. I, I cannot tell you enough about her. And when you meet her, those of you who do know her know she is fierce. You know, she moves with like focus and authority, yet she also is soft in, in my heart, in my mind. I know I, I feel, and I felt that sense of her. And so I want you all to meet this beautiful Deneh relative, my Dejeje, my little sister, Vanessa Roanhorse. Hi, Vanessa. <laughs> Hi, that is so weird to like hear that, but then also my heart filled so much. Thank you for that really wonderful introduction and for the questions you posed right before all of that. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm so excited. Like I literally have goosebumps. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I've been waiting for this interview because, you know, folks, I had asked her the first year and then, you know, uh, this is the other thing I believe in, Vanessa, is divine timing. I, you know, I believe that things happen when they need to happen. And there's no sense in stressing out and, you know, trying to force things, right? And I just like, so that's why I was so excited that it happened. And so anyway, why don't you tell us a little bit um, more? I know that I gave sort of how I know you and how I see you. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Maybe tell folks your clan. Um, just give us a little bit more of uh, your intro, please. Sure thing. Um, well, so my name is Vanessa Roanhorse. I am Deneth. Navajo from the Navajo Nation, grew up on the nation. Um, I currently live here in Albuquerque, New Mexico with my husband and our seven-year-old um, on Tiwa lands. Um, I have a twin sister as well who also lives here, and um, most of my family stays back home. But I am and My families come from the sawmill, Tohachi, um, Asaya in Windorock area. Um, I remember as a little kid seeing the little um, made up sheep camps that we would move our sheep across. And uh, they were probably some of our favorite places to play. We'd always get in trouble because my grandma would be like, yeah, there's a lot of rattlesnakes in there. There's, you know, who knows what's in there. We haven't used it and who knows how long, but those little sheep camps in uh, Windorock, Sawmill, and up towards Tohatchi, those were our playing grounds for sure as I grew up. Uh, currently, I live here now, but before that I was in Chicago for 15 years. Before that I was in California for seven years. Before that I was in a, min a million different places, uh, but those were two places, two homes that held me for a period of time and also in Chicago where I met my husband. Um, and I live here and have a company called Roan Horse Consulting, which is an indigenous women led think tank. Uh, we do a lot of um, dreaming, visioning and designing around what is the future economy and how do we use our indigenous ways of thinking to build it? How are we asking questions around research and evaluation that reminds us that the heart and mind have to be connected in understanding data and understanding why we measure things. Um, we do a lot of coalition building and supports trying to help leaders create the kind of infrastructure and entities that will drive not only with the movements they're building, but hopefully like center and care for this, the solutions they've created. 
And then finally, um, I've been really lucky and blessed to find eight, seven other Indigenous women, and we co-launched Native Women Lead, which is its own story onto itself. Um, but for me, Native Women Lead was really a gift or a offering back to my community because as an Indigenous woman business owner, I just remember how hard it was and I, I wanted to do something so that those in the world knew we were here so that my sisters knew it was possible and that at the end of the day um, that we invest as much as possible into our women because they are the centers and they are the caretakers, culture bearers, and future thinkers that we need to lean on to bring all harmony back. So those are like some of the pieces. And I just want to say your story of how you recall our meeting. Um, I was new to Albuquerque. I didn't know anyone. I was invited by my sister to attend that <laughs> holiday party. <laughs> I was just as like, oh God, I do not want to small talk. I don't want to network. I just want to relax. And you and your safety blankets, your sons looked <laughs> so cozy on that couch. And I was like, whatever they're doing looks relaxing. I'm going to join them. And that's why I plopped myself right next to you all is you all weren't trying to over anything. You were just being, and I was like, I just want to be so I hope you know that's the other side of that story <laughs> and why I was so attracted to come sit next to you. You're always welcome to my couch with my security blankets. <laughs> you know, when you introduce yourself, your clan, um, you said, that's my mm -hmm. son's, my boy's um, second clan. So, awesome. so they're relative. They're relatives. Are. Yeah, so I'll tell them you what they say. See, the clan, the Navajo clan system is so complex. It, <laughs> it, it like boggles me. And my right now, I kid you not, my aunties on my dad's side are working on this clan system. So we, because it, it, it's how you address each other, right? It's like, is that your grandma? Is that your auntie? Mm -hmm. Is that you know? How, is are you my older sister? My younger sister? You know, so it's complex. But you guys are related. <laughs> I yeah, would say I, like mom, like she's your other mom. So if you're hungry, go to Vanessa's house. <laughs> yeah, but see, so they're both like our, so really just really, because I'm, I'm constantly, you know, there's a couple of memes where women, there's like math happening in the ether and the women look confused or the men look confused. That's where I'm always at with my clan system where I'm like thinking too deeply about it. But I believe, <laughs> I believe I'm their auntie. Okay. Same difference, mom. True, mom, 100% auntie. same difference. <laughs> but I was like, okay, wait. But yeah, you're right. The, yes, they can call me their other mother. Which is their, yeah. So um, now, now I know I have some ammunition here. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so thank you for telling the clan. I love the story about the sheep. Did you guys lose any sheep? <laughs> oh my God, I'm sure we did. Well, we didn't do a lot of the sheep herding. We did some when I was super little. But by the time we were probably responsible enough to do like sheep herding. Um, my grandparents had um, reduced their flock pretty significantly and um, they were kind of deciding what to do with their cows um, because, you know, between all of those different locations, all of the, the land rights stuff or the grazing rights, grazing lease rights stuff was really important. 
So we didn't do enough of it, but we were around for the stinky sheep dips. We were around <laughs> for all the stuff. Um, but man, I used to love playing in those, those awesome little sheep camps. They yes. were like our little houses. You know, it surprises me that we never knew each other. Like we grew up in the same area, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, because I'm St. Michael's. Um, Alugi Butterfly Butte area, and you are we're in Windorak. I know that we're years apart in terms of um, going to school. So just still, I know that we had similar experiences in, in where we worked and um, being in the same town and community. So I wanted to back up a little bit before we jump into talking a little bit about why where I want you to go. But uh, because I think it's important to hear some of the context of like, you know, who, how did Vanessa become who she is, you know, mm-hmm. and thinking about the sheep herding experience. Cause I really believe having that kind of lifestyle growing up, you know, around sheep and, and growing around, you know, the plane in the sand, I really feel like all those experiences have created, um, just who we are and how we, you know, it, it really solidifies our values and also what's so important to us. And so I, I love for you to back up a little bit and tell us a little bit more about sort of your upbringing and what that offered you. And also, so that's one part of it. The other thing that I'm really curious about, and I really, I'm hoping you could spend some time talking a little bit about is, I think you had said something about going away um, to a different school and I think in high school, I don't remember, but anyway, just tell us a little bit about your upgrade, uh, upbringing and how that offered and how that, you know, colors Vanessa today. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the thing that most folks find surprising other, other Navajos is that like, um, we grew up on the reservation. (laughs) Like we didn't grow up off of it. And I think it's just maybe the way I've carried myself or how I speak, which will lead me to where I went to high school because that makes a big difference. (laughs) But um, we grew up on the res. Uh, You know, I remember living in the Hogan, no running water, no electricity. Um, And then always angering and pissing my sister off because I would shake her awake because I was too scared to go by myself to the outhouse to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I was just too terrified. I was like, there's something out there. You know, I always had this vision that there was going to snake that was going to jump out of the, <laughs> in the outhouse toilet and bite my butt. Like, I don't know why, but it was this like deep fear I had. <laughs> but um, but I, we also grew up in a Hogan that was like built by my grandfather, my Che, that was filled and smelled of like of pine and cedar. Um, like there was markings on the wall from the kids when they were growing up. It just was like the most safe Mm. place I could remember. And like, also because it's just one big room, you know, my sister and I would cuddle in with my mom or we would sleep on the other side. And my dad wasn't really around growing up. Unfortunately, he has his own demons to battle, but My mom was a young mother. She was um, 18 when she had us, you know, and she was working as a, in a, as a waitress down in Windorock at the time at Navajo Nation Inn, which is now the Quality Inn, but it used to be the Navajo Nation. And I just remember moving between the Hogan, my grandparents' house, my, um, 
other three aunties' houses, my uncle's house, they were all within walking distance from each other. And we just, there was no gates, <laughs> there was no fences, except for the animals, um, even though most of them always got out somehow. But what I recall is just having my cousins, my sisters, my younger aunts and my younger uncles as, as friends. And they were like who I grew up with, who I played with, who, who were like the folks I got into fights with, right? Into fist fights with. Uh, they were the ones who also like snuck me uh, extra candy. It was just this like wild, wonderful youth that I, I think about how much I wish my son could have that but how much the reservation has changed and how much where I grew up has changed just because that's what happens. Um, there's a whole lot of political, socio-political issues, but, you know, just in general, things have changed, but that's how we grew up. I mean, we grew up running from one house to the other, trying to get pops, as many pops as possible. So, and as many soda pops. Um, and we'd be like, no, we haven't had one today. And we'd be like, awesome. Let's go to uncle goose's house. And we'd run up there and so we would hoard stuff. I mean, it was amazing. We were, we were what they call free range kids now, but we didn't know what that was. And um, it was a beautiful way of living. And then at some point, my mom just looked around and was just kind of like, I can't, this is not, I will never create a future for my girls, you know, if I, if I continue this way. And so we actually picked up and we moved. And I remember how painful that move was. Because, you know, I didn't know white people growing up. I knew my people. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't see white people very often. I was a little scared of them. And we moved to Albuquerque so she could go to UNM to get her bachelor's degree. And that was really intense, you know, um, not having that safety net. Suddenly we weren't allowed to just run wherever we wanted to go. We had to be careful and conscientious. And I always remember my mom saying things like, you know, be quiet, don't bring any attention to yourself. And I didn't understand as a young person why, but as an adult, now I do. Um, she was saying that because we were Navajo. We were clearly from the reservation. We were very poor. I didn't know we were poor when I lived on the res, but I knew I was poor when I left it. So just those were kind of some foundational things with watching my mother struggle, work multiple jobs, you know, do all the things and yet somehow, even in her vulnerabilities and sometimes in her failures, she was just so powerful. Mm. And she showed us, she didn't tell us, she showed us every day, this is what it takes to show up as an indigenous woman. This is what it takes to be a Navajo woman. This is what it takes to like not be told you're not enough. And, um, and then she got her, her bachelor's degree. And it was against all odds. My family wasn't that supportive of her, you know, all the things because we live in fear sometimes and unknown things have hurt us as native people, <laughs> you know, stepping into the unknown has also been really painful for us. So I get where they were coming from. Long story to the long is someone who recently shared that phrase with me. Uh, we ended up moving back to the reservation where my sister and I finished out our elementary and middle school um, and we were both working, I was working at the Navajo Nation at this time. So full circle, you know, I was now a waitress. 
I was waiting a table and this young white girl close to my age came in with this Navajo family. I I knew because they would come in every Sunday for like the, the buffet and they were having breakfast and they went to pay and she was still sitting there pulling her things together. And I was like, what are you doing here? Why? Like, who are you? Why are you with this Navajo family? You look my age. There's Where are your parents? What's wrong with society? You know, I had all these questions. And she just shared with me that she was on um, winter break on an internship. And I said, what is an internship? And she explained that the school she went to in Connecticut, every January, the whole month of January, all of the students get to take on a one month internship. They can do whatever they want as long as they have the finance and the support and some kind of mentor to help them. And so she had some relationship in the Navajo Nation and she decided the month of January, she was going to stay with the family and be a teacher's assistant at the school, the elementary school. I'm just going to pause because that was like, my brain was just like blown. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you did what? And you are where? And how does this work? How did you get there? How much does, like, I had so many questions and I just was like, what do I do to get to learn more? And she's like, well, here's the phone number. And I guess she had the phone number for the school because in case of an emergency, you know, you could call the school. She gave it to me. I took it. I went home and I called the number, left a voicemail. They called me back. And mind you, this is the time where every minute of non-local calls was charged for <laughs> So um, I was trying to make these calls super fast on our landline because I knew in a month my mom was going to find out I was calling Connecticut. And um, they called me back and I just said, can you send me whatever you would send a potential student? And they sent me the application. Um, and kind of from that point forward, <laughs> it was the battle of the wills between me saying, I need to leave. I need to do something different. If I stay here, I don't know if I have the courage to do more. I don't know if I have the courage to be better. And my mom fought, we fought, we fought, we fought. And I think at one point my stepfather turned to her and he just looked at her and he was like, this is what she wants. <laughs> if we don't support her, will we regret it? If we aren't able to support our children in the things they want, then who are we to ask for more. And I will never forget that because he and I did not get along. <laughs> and so um, it was a very expensive school. They gave me a full ride and my mom begrudgingly, but belovingly agreed to let me go. And I left and I went to high school there my sophomore to senior year and graduated. Um, I was their first Native American student. They did not know what to do with Native people. It was a very challenging time in my life that shifted who I am. It was also the first time in my life where I saw what money and wealth and power look like for real. Mm -hmm. I also figured out how do I navigate this space? So I learned, I learned that language was powerful, that articulation, um, being able to think through complex solutions, like those were things this community and culture admired. And also it was a way to get through to what I wanted to do. Wow, Vanessa. Holy moly. My mind is blown <laughs> just now. <laughs> wow. Like, 
Oh, there's so much here to mine. And I love that one is that you are always in this curious mindset. I mean, immediately you were like, how do I need to, what do I need to do to learn more? I mean, just that question in itself. And you just made a choice, jumped right in. And and then for you to be in that space to see so much already about like money and power, about language and how to navigate all of that. Wow. And I just have to just also lift your mom, like for mom to also make that choice to pivot, you know, in in a way. And and yeah, there's just so much there to mine. And I, I just appreciate also like when you, when you moved that you, you saw also just like the view of what poor means and how it's defined and for a long time didn't know and then realized that and then going to the school, seeing a whole nother level and filter mm-hmm. of power and privilege and money and wow. So I, you know, this is a great transition actually, because when we were talking um, a couple months back for this podcast, you were telling me that you were sitting a lot with that word power and how power moves. So since that experience, you know, from, from high school, I mean, that's like some years back, I'm not giving your age away, but <laughs> some years back to now, cause you've navigated through Chicago and you're here in, in New Mexico. What, what is sitting with you there in terms of power and how it moves? Maybe if you can start with even just defining what that means and, um, yeah. Oh, uh, thank you. And wow, that's a tough, a tough one. But I, I, I believe that's the heart of the work I am interested in, which is unpackaging, peeling away, and um, taking definitions of things like power, and saying, can we redefine it for ourselves? Can we redefine this? these concepts and these terms and this language that doesn't belong to us, that wasn't our language, but is the language we have to move through to, to be in the United States, you know? So when I think about power and how I want to change it, the power I'm looking to change is defined, I think, as this power that has only one purpose and can only be wielded in one single way, which is often over, under, never beside or with people and planet. For me, power has always been defined in in a negative way. I think just seeing how those with power or how people get power always felt like it was being decided behind closed doors. And yet that very astute thing you shared, which is for me, I didn't know what being poor was because I wasn't poor. And to this day, I look back and we weren't poor, but we were at the poverty level. (laughs) We didn't have things. Um, And somehow this concept of being poor included everything versus we were spiritually rich. We were culturally rich. We were community rich. We were family rich. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere in the language of power, those, those other definitions of power and wealth, they became linear. They become one single focus. And they also became um, held by 
by others who decided who was allowed into the room. So for me, that's been the work is how do I take something that has been so harmful for so long, um, power dynamics, powerful things, how do, how do we imbue it back with all of the, the plurality of what power could mean? You know, the power of sharing, <laughs> the power of thought, the power of love. Like, I think we've tried as a culture to do this, not just indigenous people, but all people. But yet something about the word power still means that someone has less. And I don't think, I don't know if that is really the truth. And so I hope in my work over the next however many years, you know, I want to continue to unpackage that. And then I also just want to continue to say, who gets to define this for us? Why? Why, do you, why does somebody else define this for me? And so that's the work for me going forward. I love it. I love that you're sitting with this. And it made me curious to know what sort of conversations are you having with our, you know, Native elders and not just even within our, you know, uh, the people within our, our community, but also other tribes and and also, it, it, yeah, it just made me curious to know how they would define that and how, what's the language, what's the word that they use in their mother tongue? Because um, as we know, like the language is very descriptive, right? It's not, like you said, very singular, very linear focus. Are, are you having those dialogues now? So a lot of what I find myself doing is not the work with other Native nations, Native networks. In some ways, I find myself doing this work with all of the non-Native Native networks, organizations, individuals who are power brokers, who are in a power position, whether it's wealth, money, uh, relationships, and access. So I see a lot of this conversation happening outside of those circles. And part of it for me is, is because our communities are doing that work naturally and they're doing it and people have been on the ground building these different types of conversations on, you know, indigenous ways of knowing, indigenous worldview. Um, I think a lot about the stuff that my, my father, my stepfather, but father does for the Navajo Nation at the Human Rights Commission is uh, he talks about power, but he talks a lot about and the balance of those energies and how he's redefining that language, not for the Navajo people, but for the non-Navajo people, because that kind of comes inherently. Don't get me wrong. There is a whole lot of work that we need to do to like unprogram ourselves around some of these we versus me concepts that have come from Western ideologies. But that that work is being done. I feel like I learn more by sitting in conversations with communities and leaders and native people and native nations and listening where I feel like my strength is, is then taking the hits in these other rooms and bringing these conversations forward and, you know, standing tall around these, these discussions. I'm five one, so I am really not very tall, but you know, intellectually tall, maybe, (laughs) but like, um, that's where I, I, I do the work. 
Mm. I don't try to infiltrate those pieces because for me, it's, um, it's being built. What I hope to do is build is be either a bridge builder between that and those who are, who are the, in the role of the willing and interested in being in alignment with this. I want to bring those people over to help strengthen the approaches but I also am okay being in spaces where I'm not working with the willing and we go toe to toe. Thank you. Thank you for also just unpacking that a little in terms of how you're using that. So that made me curious about how, how does this look, you know, power and how it moves um, in the work that you are currently doing with Roan Horse and Women Power Lead. How are you guys weaving that in, in playing with that and redefining it in, in those, in those areas. Yeah. What's, what's really fascinating for me and also really heart wrenching at times is starting Roan Horse Consulting because I tend to just be the kind of person who's, like you said, is very curious. Um, I don't have a lot of, (laughs) Uh, this is probably why I, I do the work I do versus like actually living in the natural world and farming and stuff. But I don't have a lot of good instincts on, is this too risky? I just do it. <laughs> and so when I started Bone Horse Consulting, it didn't really occur to me to look around and say, is this a good idea? Should I be the person? I just did it. And in doing, I had to figure this out. Like, what does it mean to be... Um, a CEO, which felt so foreign. What does it mean to own a business, which again, foreign. And then am I an entrepreneur? Am I a leader? That's not really how I see myself. I just put my head down and worked. When I finally pulled my head up, I realized this is really hard. And people have been, you know, trying to build companies as indigenous women, as native women, for so long, yet we are so undervalued. We are so invisible. And uh, the structural, patriarchal, racial systems in place have ensured that we do not know we're worthy mm. of these like achievements. Now, for me, I just wasn't, I just, that's not how I was raised, but also it's just not how my brain works. So I had to learn backwards. Why power? Why influence? Why wealth? Who defines these for us? And it was my community, you included, that taught me why this work had to be changed and like what I needed to do to do better. And so uh, within the company Roan Horse Consulting, I've made tons of mistakes. I mean, no doubt, like (laughs) uh, talk about flying by the seat of your pants. However, um, some of the key things I think that I've done differently that I hope continues to be a part of the values that we've built at the company is when team members and new staff join us, they are equal at the table. Um, We actively try to hold space so that folks can dream big, but at the same time, I am there to take the hits. I am there to build the foundation and create that brave space so that they can do the work that they're they're built for, they're made for. 
Um, I've also shared with everyone that my goal is not for you to be forever at this company. My goal is for you to then use this as a, as a platform and the launch pad to go to where you need to go next. And I think we've done that. I think we've really tried to create a culture. Um, and that came from my, my matrilineal dinner ways. Like that really is grounded in that. Um, so we've done that. I feel like within our CLC and, I believe we're doing well. It feels like we have moved into um, new spaces, new levels. But the truth is, it's a never-ending, it's a never-ending learning, and it's good right now. It could be not good later. But what I've learned about power is, power is only good if you're willing to, to share it and get out of the way for others to take the the reins and and move forward. Um, that is the most powerful thing I can do is get out of the way. You know what I mean? Tell me more. Well, like if I'm going to create something and I'm going to have success, or if I'm going to build something, one, I just think naturally we as indigenous people, it's always been with the as long as it's helping my people, as long as it's helping my community, how can I give back? So the next step after you've done something is to ask yourself, and it's similar to the questions you were talking about earlier, which is who does this benefit and to what end? Um, Why are we creating solutions? Why are we building new things? What is it for? And then on the who benefits, am I the beneficiary Maybe I am right now, but who should be the beneficiary long-term? And so that's the piece around, and it's not easy. I mean, oh my God, it is not easy getting out of your own way. Um, It's also not easy letting someone else do it or take the reins or move forward with it because, because that's just not how we're taught. And, um, So that's the work I'm interested in right now is I've done this company now for five years. We'll be six years next year. To what end? Mm. And um, yeah. And that's what I'm asking myself. To what end? Yeah. I love it. And and you're right. Oh, man. I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, you know, the it's not easy getting out of the way. And I feel like when, when that happens though, like when you do have that, I, I feel like it sometimes it, it, it evolves and all of a sudden it just happens. It's like a snap. You're like, ah, and once you get it, like when you've done your own work, when you've done your own work and, and you get out of the ego, you get out of the, the me, right. And you're more, you're seeing the bigger picture. Once that, I feel like when that happens, it's so easy afterwards. I don't know, for me anyway, like, you can do it, you know? You know, you. I feel like sometimes, like, you want folks to fall. Like, you need to fall. <laughs> you need to experience that because that's where the learning is, right? And But also to let go knowing, like, it's not going to be 
perfect in the way that I define perfect, right? And that's also another word (laughs) that needs to be dismantled, you know, because there's no such thing as perfection, you know, because regardless of how well you do something or you become somewhat of a, you know, I I always cringe a little bit when people say expert, like, or, you know, defining another, because I feel like we're always evolving, always learning. And um, so, yes, yes to all of that. And I love what you all are doing there in terms of, you know, bringing everyone to the table and making sure people have um, equal voice and and much more in terms of letting them know. Because I think it's one thing to, to say it, but also to have folks feel like you're here to grow and we want you to grow. And if you find yourself wanting to spread your wings, go for it, you know. So thank you for all of that. So I'm just curious about what the future holds and what are you worried about still? What are you excited about? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I am in deep thought recently about those questions. So I don't have a lot of clarity because I'm working through, but there's a couple of things I'm sort of between the, uh, between the 10 year goal, more of like in the next few years is, um, I had mentioned native women lead and we are actually today submitting one of the most important proposals of our lives. Really. Um, it's the kind of proposal that will fundamentally change not only the organization, but the potential landscape for indigenous women businesses. Um, and, it's like real resources, it's real capital. And so as we submit that, I'm in this deep moment of like awe, gratefulness, excitement, but also being very solemn. There is like a certain amount of, now that we've built this infrastructure and now we're so close to getting it, the kind of resources it needs to truly build the capacity of what we believe is the future is indigenous women do I still stay in that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I helped do so much with all of the women, but now as I see it, I'm like, you know, this is that getting out of the way. This is that question of like, there are so many brilliant women who must do this work and so many young women who we need to bring into this work and so many older, elder women who have to guide us. So now I'm, as I'm thinking about that, you know, my heart is always going to have Native women lead, but also I'm thinking about in the next couple of years, how do I still support Native women lead while getting out of the way? And that's the, that's where I'm at is like, how do I still do what I can as much as I can for Native, Native women lead and yet make all of the room so others can come into it because that's the whole point. So one of the ways I'm excited is, you know, we at Roanhorse Consulting have been incubating, testing, piloting, um, proselytizing to bankers, lenders, financial uh, advisors, philanthropists, you name it, investors, around what does an indigenous-informed financial infrastructure look like? And that's around access to capital. That's around who gets to decide and design products for uh, indigenous people. How are we building in different types of values beyond the traditional five C's of credit? Um, How are we dismantling 
the structural racism finance, which is credit and collateral, which are in its historical policies designed to keep Black people out of owning things, which has also ensured Native Indigenous people along our treaties, we can't build wealth and assets. Um, So being excluded so intentionally out of the financial systems, which is the current tools of capital today, what is possible for us to do that? So, um, you know, in the last few years, we've been doing things like character-based lending with microloans with the credit union here in New Mexico, uh, the Nucenda Credit Union. And that has been, in my mind, wildly successful. There's a whole lot more work that needs to go into it to make it scalable and sustainable. But what we've proved is that um, communities who have been pushed and denied finance are going to pay back and that they are not risky investments. Rather, these are these types of networks understand the, cycl- the cyclical relationship they have with the community around them and resources. And they're not there to burn or mess this one up because they know by doing that, it affects their brothers, their sisters, their neighbors, their cousins. And so that deep we understanding of economy is the work I'm super excited about. So as we've tested this um, small lender micro lending product with in partnership with Jamie Lochet, who works here at Roan Horse Consulting, as well as co-founder um, at Native Women Lead, you know, we have been working to create more types of funds owned, led by indigenous people. So in what we talk a lot about is how do we get to the place where indigenous women are investing in indigenous women? And it does include coaching, mentorship, you know, learning, technical assistance, but it also comes alongside real resources, real capital that doesn't put the harm back on them. So in the next couple of years, we'll be launching a ton of funds. Um, and that is something I'm so proud of. So that's where I'm kind of really excited about. And I think that's how I can continue to build the vision I see of the future, but also continue to hold and be able to lift the work of Native Women Lead because Native Women Lead is the network. They're the movement and they're the ones who are going to help us drive forward. So that's the interim. In 10 years, Um, In 10 years, I probably won't be CEO of anything. Um, In 10 years, I I hope I can find a place where the way my crazy brain works, I can just help people create whatever it is they want to create. Like I hope to just, I'm the kind of asset resource where anyone can call me and I'll be like, awesome, how can I help? Here it is. And I hope I can do that for all people, all communities, but I don't even know what I'm talking about. That just sounds like a crazy fake job. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I doubt that. I, I, I believe that you'll make something happen in that sense. And how exciting and congratulations to Native Women Lead in terms of um, the proposal that's going in. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And, and those of you who don't know uh, Native Women Lead, uh, please check it out. And I know soon we'll be in person again. It's fabulous. The women are amazing and the resources and the speakers that they bring is amazing. So uh, please check them out. And also thank you so much, Vanessa, for being here, sharing your wisdom, sharing your story. Um, 
I, I definitely have to ask this question and I'm going to ask you to share your final thoughts and comments to our listeners is the one thing that I appreciate about Vanessa that we have in common is lipstick and earrings. <laughs> so what shade of color are you wearing today? <laughs> that is so true. Um, I don't wear most makeup, but you know, my, my go-to is always a bright lipstick and always a bold pair of earrings. So today I'm wearing, um, a hodgepodge actual lipstick that I made myself out of all my old lipsticks that kind of, when they get to the end, um, Uh I just melted them all together. So it's this wild fuchsia orange and I'm sorry, you can't see it. It looks crazy. Um, but it's a combo of, of just a bunch of old lipsticks. And then the last thing I'll say is I'm wearing, some really awesome, bright, radical looking earrings. So my whole face kind of looks like an explosion, which I love. I love it. (laughs) You can send me a selfie after we're done. (laughs) I love it. So thank you. And I, I would just like to have you share with the listeners sort of your last thoughts, comments, what are you wishing for, for them? What, how do you hope for them to take from what you're sharing So final thoughts. Thank you. I hope wherever and however you're enjoying this incredible podcast series that um, you take a walk and do it. It's one of the best things I've ever done. And I think the only thing I can say is most of the time I don't know what I'm doing and it's okay. Um, But where I find my, my North Star is always going to be returning to my own personal values and asking the questions of who benefits and to what end and have I caused any harm? Because I'm always going to mess up. (laughs) It's inevitable. And I hope everyone who knows me or is interested in the work I'm building should know that there's been a lot of mistakes on the way. But I keep going because I believe in it. And I believe I can answer those three questions daily and I still feels like I'm on the right path. So there's no magic in this. It's just the work. The work is the magic, right? <laughs> Thank you so much, Vanessa. I I adore you. I You inspire me, and I know you inspire many other women. And thank you for allowing us to join you on this journey. And I look forward to connecting with you soon in person. And just have a blessed day. 